Okay, let's do that. And okay, go. Hi, this is Jeremy Barnhart with ApexFunRun.com, and you're listening to Jeff Smith with Vroom Vroom Beer. Thanks, man. That was awesome. First try, too. Good job. Thanks. All right. I'm going to go away. I'll be right back. Sounds good. Are you ready to thoughtfully steer away from your revved up, frenzied, and far too often scripted life? Then welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith, where he guides you down the road differently traveled by sharing unique experiences with guests who have managed to shift away from a life stuck on cruise control and veered their way into a more authentic and fulfilling one in all sorts of interesting and kind of remarkable ways. Get ready to Vroom Vroom Veer with your differently traveled road chauffeur, Jeff Smith. Sapiwe Baleka, thank you so much for being on Vroom Vroom Veer and welcome to the show. How's it going, man? It is going fantastic, Jeff. Thanks for having me, man. I'm super excited. Yeah, we're already having a blast and we've only talked for two minutes or eight minutes or something like that. <laughs> and we veered two or three times already. Too. Yes. Yeah. In eight minutes. And, and unfortunately, I didn't record that. I should have recorded all of that because that was a blast. <laughs> Note to self, record BS before show starts. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you are Sapiwe Baleka, and I'm I'm going to spell your name now because your name is your website, right? So yes. you are at www.sipihiwebaleka.com. Did I get it right? You got it right. I got yes. it right. <laughs> well, I was reading it very slowly. <laughs> so, so let's talk a little bit about what you've got going on now, because I know you just wrote a book and you've got a job and you've got this fitness trucking thing going on. So just give us your, your elevator pitch before we get into the nuts and bolts of your life and rooming and beer and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I got a, I got a book and a job and I'm an athlete and I'm a, a, right. a father. And, Way to go. Um, yeah. So uh, just a lot of amazing things are going on right now. Um, the book is called Four Minute Fit. Right. Uh, and the subtitle is uh, The Metabolism Accelerator for the Time Crunch, Desk Bound, and Stressed Out. Oh, okay. uh, And so I'm really excited about that. That book is taking what I've learned working with um, truck drivers over the last four years and helping them lose weight and really hacking metabolism and figuring out um, how to help people boost their metabolism so they can lose the weight and get healthy. Um, so that's going on. Yeah. Um, uh, my company, Fitness Trucking, is growing and expanding, and we're getting more clients, and we're helping uh, more and more people, uh, particularly in the transportation industry, which is the least healthy yeah, um, right. industry, you know, the least healthy sector of the economy. It's long-haul right. truck drivers are, are, are the unhealthiest the, occupation in America. They've got the perfect storm of, of not healthy habits embedded in their job, essentially. Yes. Uh, so they, they, they need the most help. So I'm, I feel no, for good sure. about serving right. that. Well, but yeah, yeah, I um, get it. It's, it's a great place to start because it, it sort of like destroys all excuses for everybody else. I think <laughs> that's, the, that's the idea for the book. Right. Right. Yeah. If it'll work for truck drivers, it'll, it'll work, work for, for you. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so true. Um, but I do have other things going on in my life too. I, um, this weekend I, I competed at the arena pro swim series, All right. uh, oh, which so is you're a, still competing in your swim. That's cool. Yeah. 
I uh, here I am in this meet swimming with. First of all, I was the oldest competitor by ten years. Wow! Uh, and wow. I'm swimming against the world's best swimmers. I mean, Olympic champions and world record holders, and Ooh. some of the best high school and college swimmers in the world were all at this Just meet. Just to be in the same pool, was, right? I know. I was, right. I was like a little. I felt like a little kid because I'm looking at these 15, 16, 17 year olds, and I see swim on TV, and I'm like, "Oh, I'm your biggest fan." Oh wow, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's awesome. Mean, meanwhile, I, I've probably swum three times as many races as they have in their lifetime. Right. Right. But, um, right. So that was a lot of fun. And like I said, I'm a father. I have a, a daughter that's graduating um, college this year. She's 22. And wow. then I have My goodness. boys that are five and two. And My, uh, so there's just a, a lot going gap. on. You've got one graduating college and then you've got a five and a two. Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> Way to go. I was I, I went vroom and vroom, vroom and then I veered. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I think there's more than one veer in your life. You've got several. A yeah, lot. I've got a couple. You've got a lot of rooming yeah. and a lot of veering. So so let's let's go back in time now and, and talk about how you got here. Let's talk about the journey that was your life, you know, and, and how you got to where you are now. So I know you were you were obviously athletic as a kid. Say like in uh, when did you start swimming? How, what, what age? Yeah, I was, well, first and foremost, so I was born and raised, um, in Oswego, Illinois, Oswego. which back then, yeah, that sounds very about 45 Illinois. minutes. It, it, well, it is, it's, you yeah. know, still has the native American name. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I grew up in Menominee, Michigan, so I get it. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. And something Oswego, native American. Menominee. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. 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 It's got to sound native it, American. They might they might have been friends. I don't know. We'll have to look that up. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe they maybe they fought. We don't know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I grew up there. And what's interesting, um, we were the first black family to move out there. So, and at wow. that time, you okay. know, it's pretty country. It's 45 minutes southwest of Chicago. Um, but at that time, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of development. It was a lot of cornfields. And, um, but my father moved out there after having graduated from Fisk University, which was a historically black college university, uh, had a degree in math. Um, uh, and he got a, a really good job that enabled him to move to a place that had a good school system. That was sort of his vision. It's what he wanted to do for, you know, for his, for his children, for me. Uh, and I have an older sister. Um, so we moved out there. We were the first black family to move out there. And yeah, I, that's what I did, you know, played sports. It was at a time where, you know, in the summertime, you could leave the house eight o'clock in the morning. Parents are like, be back before dark. I'd be gone the whole day riding bikes, yeah. playing baseball, on the field, playing football, swimming, playing tennis, playing basketball, making obstacle court. This is long before Ninja Warrior. Okay. We would make our own <laughs> obstacle courses. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, that sounds like yeah. a blast. Yeah. Wintertime, we, you know, snow drift that were three, four, five, six feet tall. So we're jumping off the roof into the snow drifts. Right. You're playing fun. King of the Mountain, right? All of, all of that. Yeah. Um, did you, did you so make those like, uh, uh, what do they call them? You know, where you dig into the snow drift and, and then make like a, an igloo inside of them and make a cave system. Oh yeah. We did all yeah, yeah, yeah. epic <laughs> snow fights. Right. Yeah. The face washing. <laughs> Yay. 
<laughs> what that is, was when you were with the, the older the, the kids. bigger kids and, right when they're picking on yeah. you and sticking like uh, yeah. uh snowballs down your pants <laughs> yay childhood so you know about this. i do you know about i do yeah. well, michigan yeah you know yeah. about it. right uh even pond you might know about this too pond hockey you know there are a lot of pond ponds out hockey? there you sure 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 yeah. oh yeah that, even today. we we would like it I was always deathly afraid of any sort of frozen body of water just because I was like, eh, I don't trust it. But then once once you saw enough kids not dying, then it was just fun. You know, it was like, is the ice going to break? You never wanted to be the first kid jumping around on the ice. Right? <laughs> well, Jeff, just like you were deathly afraid of frozen ice. Yeah, I was or frozen water. Yeah. I was deathly afraid of the water. Really? Um, wow. Yeah. When I was four, my father took me, uh, took the whole family. We went to South Carolina for a vacation. We went to the Atlantic Ocean, went to the beach. Nice. And I wouldn't nice. go anywhere near the water, okay? Deathly afraid. And my father was like, when we get back, you're taking swim lessons. Mm. And I, I remember very – you asked me how I got started swimming. I remember very vividly um, – being in the back of the car and him driving me to swim lessons because it was kind of a long drive um, and dreading it. And the mm. place where they taught us taught you how to swim, if you didn't get in the water when they asked you, well, when they told you to, okay, right. Right. they would march you to the deep end and push you off the diving board. Sure. And sure. that's how I learned. That's how I first started learning how to swim. They kicked, they, they, they threw kicked. you in? Yeah, they put me to the end of the, the diving wow. board in the deep end and pushed me off because I wouldn't get in the water in the shallow end when they said, hey, it's time to get in the water. I wow. ran around the deck and they chased me and they finally got me. And <laughs> pushed That's me very off similar to board. how I got over my fear of, uh, of water. One of my uncles just threw me in the deep end. You know. That and apparently you didn't sink. I didn't die. <laughs> You didn't die. I flailed. I flailed. I probably sunk a little bit. And then I did whatever I had to do and moved through the water like a crazy person. And then was like, oh, that wasn't so bad. <laughs> Fear solved, you know. <laughs> I realized at that point that I was actually buoyant. You know, I think that's that's the big aha moment. You know, it's like, oh, look at that. It kind of pop out of the water. I'll buy him. <laughs> Well, you had one on me, Jeff, because I don't think I was very buoyant at all. Really? But no. But so you freaked along out the line, that first time, huh? Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was. I was freaking out. Yeah, I freaked out. I but was I got not, over it pretty quick. I, the, the water was cold. I was wet. I was scared. <laughs> Nothing. Right. Nothing, Nothing was okay. Fun about Nothing was okay. Nothing. <laughs> uh, but somewhere along the line, you know, uh, I would go to the little park district pool in the summer and spend all day there. Everybody's swimming and doing things. And um, the lifeguard had asked me, you know, it's like, oh, I bet you can't swim across the pool. And I was like, man, I can swim across the pool. Watch this. And he's like, I bet you can't do it on your back. And I was like, I can do that, too. And uh, he's like, hey, you just come out for the swim team. Um, oh, wow. And so I did. And and I was seven. And I went out for the little park district swim team. Um by the time I was 10, I was a state champion swimmer. Holy cow. Still playing. Yeah. Still playing all these other sports. Um, 
um, by the time I was 14, I was nationally ranked and, and traveling. And by the time I was got to high school, I was a, you know, a top level high school swimmer and, you know, top recruit and, um, still play, you know, I still played other sports though. I played tennis and I played football. I even, it's funny. I spent one year playing basketball, right. And I was, you know, everybody thought I could play basketball. <laughs> <laughs> right. No stereotype there. Kid. I get it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, wasn't very good at basketball, but I could swim. So, um, so I did my one season of basketball. It wasn't very good. I'm like, nah, I'm not getting enough attention. I'm not the star. I don't want to do this anymore. Right. Right. Uh, right. So, <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That's why we do things when we're kids. Have, yeah. I got to tell you, though, I did have this one moment. You'll appreciate this. Your listeners will appreciate this, too. Right. The pivotal moment for me was I was 12 years old and I was sort of the best swimmer on the on the, the team that I was on. And my father took me to see my uncle, my uncle um, Hayes Jones, who had won a gold medal uh, in the Tokyo Olympics in the 110 meter high hurdles. Um, went to his house, biggest house I'd ever seen, big driveway. Okay. And we went into this room. It was his study and he opened this cabinet door and then he took out this box and he took the top off the box and he pulled out this metal and he stuck the metal in my hand and my hand like dropped to the floor because it's like real gold and it was heavy. I didn't expect it to be (laughs) that heavy. Yeah. Yeah. He, He said to me, he said, look, you know, if you want one of these, You've got to make a commitment. You've got to decide now. You're you're like 12 years old. The average age of an Olympic swimmer, male swimmer, you know, 21, 22, 23. So we're talking a 10, 12-year commitment. you got to pick a sport and stick with it. And I knew back then that I wasn't ever going to be big enough to play college football or professional football or basketball. And, um, and I was already a champion swimmer. So I kind of picked swimming by default because right. – it made was, sense because I was good at it. It made yeah. sense. Um, and that's when I got serious and I started thinking, wow, I could, you know, I could make the Olympics. Uh, and that became my focus. That was my, my goal was to become the first African American on the U S Olympic swimming team. Mm. Um, and I was already starting to get attention at that age too. So, and this was when you were like 14 ish. I'm t- 12, 12. Wow. Oh my goodness. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yikes. Okay. So how did that go? (laughs) (laughs) It was going great. Yeah. Um, Coming out of high school, you know, I was recruited by all these universities, um, ended up going to Yale University, which nobody could understand because it was the worst swim team in in the Ivy League. They were bottom of the barrel. Mm. And I had opportunities to go to pretty much any school I wanted to. And, you know, especially a a swimming powerhouse or um, one that had a good swim program uh, and wouldn't have to pay for it. So Ivy League schools, they don't give athletic scholarships. But my father, um, you know, my father raised me. So uh, by the time I was 10, it was just me and my dad. Okay. Uh, and you always hear you always hear the story about single moms. You don't always hear the story about single dads. So I always like to right. talk about my dad. Sure. Because uh, he raised me. It was just me and him. But he told me he's like, look, wherever you want to go to school, it's your choice, right? Um, he gave me his word. So I he was probably a little miffed when I turned down full ride scholarships to go to the most expensive <laughs> school in the country <laughs> and make a pay for it. All right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Maybe. In retrospect, um, you can probably see that. 
Yeah, if my son does that, I'm not as sure I'm going to be as good as my dad. Okay. <laughs> um, Got it. I might counsel him otherwise. There you go. Uh, so I went to Yale uh, to swim. I mean, it was great. Um, other swimmers came along, and and by the time I was a senior there, we 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 had gone from last place to first place. Uh, we ended up winning an Ivy League championship in oh, four wow. years' time. So that's pretty good. Yeah, that was it. Was amazing. Yeah, um, that's got to feel like a huge win, right? Well, yeah. I mean, it was. I mean, there was just it was overwhelming. Um, ah. y- Yale has a. Um, swimming program actually their their coach uh robert kippeth has the record f- of any collegiate court uh coach in any sport for the greatest winning per- percentage 528 wins and only 12 losses that's amazing that's crazy so, he must be doing something right yeah yeah so <laughs> it was it, for me it was great to be part of that legacy to say hey we return the program to it, its greatness mm. if for if only for just that one season, but on a personal level year, 1992, that was my opportunity to, to go for my Olympic dream. Right. Um, right. Right. Uh, Olympic trials in 1992. And, um, I was at us open, which is a, a big swimming meet. It was my last opportunity to qualify for Olympic trials. And I didn't make it. I missed it by, I missed the qualifying time by eight tenths of a second. And just like that, the 12 year goal dream, was over. Was done. Ouch. That's got a uh, wait. Wait a minute. I'm gonna I'm gonna check my notes. Um, <laughs> how did that make you feel? <laughs> like I don't know, but <laughs> like try to get into that moment, you know, because a lot of folks go through their lives not striving for greatness. You know, I think there's there's like there's different sorts of people. There's sorts of people that have whatever that that is in in people that makes them sort of like even think about trying to do something like that right even though the odds are totally stacked against them they just don't believe that for whatever reason and they just go for it you know and and then you get to that thing and it's just this totally arbitrary moment that you know like you said 0.8 seconds makes this huge effect in your life i mean just walk us through what what you felt like in that moment. I mean, was it just total devastation? Yeah, I mean, I looked at the scoreboard and I saw the time, and I, it wasn't even my fastest swim either. When I I knew I knew it was over. I immediately knew I didn't have it in. I didn't have the heart to try to train another four years. I, I knew it was over, and it was a very very heavy moment. I. I don't remember ever crying after a race or a competition except for that moment. I, I left the competition pool and I went to the warm down pool and I was crying and I, I just, it was the moment where I was like, man, I'm not good enough. Mm, Right, right, right. Yeah. For, for 12 years, I kind of, even though I was a long shot, to qualify for the U.S. Olympic swimming team, total long shot. I mean, just getting the Olympic trials would have been great. Um, even though I was a total long shot, I took it for granted that I was going to do it, just like you said. Right, I just Right. Well, hey, you almost have to do that. You have to do that. 
Because if you don't convince yourself it's possible, your subconscious is going to be saying, well, what are you doing? <laughs> you have to make some part of you or at least probably all of you, you know, your whole being has to believe that be, you know, beyond, beyond all consideration, something's going to come, come around and make it okay for you to do this and win. Otherwise, if you don't convince yourself of that as an athlete, you're not going to have the motivation to do it. Right. Yeah. You well, have to believe is, in I yourself. Mean, to- you won't have what it takes to get through the grueling part. Right. Right. Um, And, and then my father told me, he's like, if you want to be a champion, you got to do You got to surround yourself with champions and do what they do. So I was on this team where we, I just took it for granted. The older kids, they were, they were all national champions. They were all division one scholarship winners. They were all U S Olympic trials qualifiers. We even had, you know, Dave Sims made the 1980 uh, Olympic swimming team. So I was around people that were manifesting the very thing. And so I'm like, well, I'm doing the same thing they're doing. So when I get that age, I'm going to do it too. Right. Just really kind of took it for granted. So that moment I realized, wow, I'm not as good as I think I am. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, and so I didn't want to swim anymore after that. Um, you really internalized it then. You kind of got maybe a little depressed for, a, well, it's natural to yeah. get a little depressed, but I mean, just how bad was it? Um, I didn't, I mean, I are, by this point I already had some identity issues too. I mean, sure. um, growing up a black kid in a white community and, not really knowing who I am and always feeling different and weird. The sports and particularly swimming gave me, you know, my foundation to stand on, you know, as long as Mm. I was a great athlete, Mm. everybody thinks you're okay. You you get sort of recognition, your self-esteem. You get a little halo kind of uh, effect from others. It's like, well, we want that guy around because he's, he's going to help out the the swim team or whatever team, you know, but mostly, yeah. 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 Welcoming. Right. Sure. Uh, So, when this happened, it was, it was this confluence of, I don't know who I am in the world, mm. ethnically, racially, you know, in terms of who, and you know, my ancestors, something's off. My family isn't normal. It's just me and my dad. That's weird. Everybody else has a mom, um, right, you right. know, go to the meets. And then I find out I'm not as good an athlete as I thought I was. So it hit pretty hard. I didn't want to be at school. I didn't want to swim. I didn't want to talk to anyone. Um, I mean, it hit hard enough that I ended, I ended up in the hospital. Wow. Um, yeah, I took some pills and roommates found me passed out. And I ended up in the psych ward at the Yale New Haven Hospital for, for, for a time. Um, and I, meanwhile, I'm majoring in existential philosophy. <laughs> That's kind of a bummer. Yeah. No, I get it. No, I, I, I went through depression and suicide attempts too. So you're, we're, we're, uh, we went through it, you know, I went through it too. So, um, and it's good that you and I talk about this publicly because yeah, we both it survived it. Right. And now when we look back at it and, um, and, and see with a different perspective, it, it, those things are, the volume is way lower, Right. But at in when you're in it, <laughs> you just think, you know, especially when what you just said, you were studying that uh, existential philosophy, you know. Um, yeah, it can it can definitely depression is one of these things where sometimes you you can't get out of it by yourself. You need help. 
and you got well, help. Not, I, I, I needed help. I, I learned a lot about mental health laws in the United States. And, um, you know, when I was in, when I was in the hospital story, it, you know, they ask you, do you think you, you, you could hurt yourself or you, you know, you're harm to yourself or others. And I'd be like, I don't know. That's what I'm trying to find out. You know, <laughs> I mean, right. The right, problem right. of suicide in existential philosophy is, I mean, nobody's like, really written about it with authentically because nobody's successfully done it and then come back to tell about it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I, I yes, don't know. you're right. Like, That's true. You know, <laughs> well <so> said. <laughs> I'm not answering their questions properly. Right. For them to, because I was telling the truth. I was like, I don't, you know, I don't know as a philosopher, I'm trying to explore this. And I'm at a point in my life where I'm lost. I don't know what there, what there is next. Uh, so it took a little work for my coach and my dad to get me out of the hospital. Really? Because I wasn't, so they yeah, had to coach you how to answer the questions correctly, basically. Yeah. Yes. I wasn't answering <laughs> questions. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was in the Air Force well, 20 years, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Sometimes, you know, you have to be coached um, in, in very, like, slow words with lots of, you know, knowing glances in order to say the right thing to get the answer right. <laughs> it's like they want you to say the right thing, you know? It's like, I'm going to ask it again. And this time, <laughs> think about what your answer <laughs> You've been through this, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Follow yeah. along. <laughs> right, follow along. I'm going to say this, and then you're going to say, I can't tell you what to say, but you're going to say, uh, thank you, you got the answer right. <laughs> they would actually tell me to think less about my answers. Right, right. Oh, yeah. Oh, because gosh. I was thinking too deeply. But mm. what came out of this, I got out of the hospital, and what came out of this was, this brilliant moment that you talk about. I mean, okay. Even your, your concept of, of veering. Vrooming right? and veering. Yes. Yes. It's an um, aha moment. I, I hope. I had this aha moment where I realized I had this blank canvas. It was the first time I didn't have to do anything. I didn't wake up with, a plan for that hour, that day, that mm. week, that month, that season. Um, I was reading Soren Kierkegaard and he's talking about taking a leap of faith. And I recognized I had this moment um, and I might not ever have, you know, at the time I was thinking, I might not ever have a moment like this again. And I asked, you know, what, what do I want to do? What, what do I really want to do? I didn't want to be at school and I didn't want to swim. I talked to my coach about what was going on, and he was like, look, I understand you don't want to swim anymore. Um, your heart's not in it, but you'll regret one thing, and this is going into my senior year. He was like, we still haven't won the Ivy League championship yet, and that was a goal you had. We can't do it without you, and if you leave now, I think you're going to regret that. I said, I'm going to make you a deal, right? You don't have to come to every practice anymore. You're still going to swim fast. Right. You just come to a sufficient amount of practices. And that was kind of vague. <laughs> right. OK. Um, right. Fin Not everyone. Your last. Right. But some. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> finish your last year. Right. Um, I'm, and, and it's not going to be the same anymore. It's, it's different. I understand where you are. So I did. I swam that last season. I didn't go to morning workouts anymore. I just kind of showed up in the afternoon, just kind of put my time in, still swam fast. 
Um, came down to the last meet of the year. It was a Harvard, Yale, Princeton tri-meet. Came down to the last race. Came down to the last relay. I'm leading off the relay. I give him a lead. We win. Um, I knew I didn't want to swim anymore. I knew I didn't want to be at Yale anymore because I started having prop academic problems. Not because I wasn't doing the work, but I was thinking outside the box um, and really challenging my professors. And some of them didn't appreciate that. No, they don't like <laughs> that. No. I went through the same um, thing when I was in the Air Force, so I know exactly what you're talking about. You're, start, you're questioning so existence, right? And they want to talk about, yeah, yeah, exactly. You're, a question, you're questioning, you know, life, the universe, and everything, and they're talking about you graduating a or passing a class, right? So you've got a perspective issue. I, I went through the same thing in the Air Force. Or, yeah. Or sticking <laughs> to some arbitrary format for writing this paper. Right. And I'm trying to right, do performance right. art. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so three days after we won that meet, I left school. I oh, wow. literally up and walked away. Um, uh, had two months before graduating, I had a 3.3 grade point average out of a 4.0. So, you know, 3.6 in my major. So I wasn't having academic trouble. I uh, was still doing well, but I didn't want to be there. So I literally three days after that, I up and walked away. I showed up on my father's doorstep. I said, dad, I love you. Thank you. I'm tired of reading about the Jesus and Buddha and all these spiritual luminaries and philosophers and stuff. I want to live like them. I'm going to go travel the world. I don't know when I'm coming home. If ever love you. Thanks. Bye. I'm outie. Wow. That's a moment. For him, <laughs> because I made him pay all that money, right? And, and you didn't even you didn't even graduate, so he's kind of wanting to kill you a little. Well, you know, the or great at least thing beat you my, up. <laughs> he, he never spoke a harsh word to me in his life. Oh wow! And after I told him that, I literally turned around and left and walked away. So I wasn't around to see what he went through. Now I've heard it through word of mouth. He didn't take it so well. Yeah. <laughs> You think? <laughs> <laughs> and Jeff, I disappeared. I, right. I literally disappeared. I you couldn't find me. I I went off the grid. You couldn't find me. I was, you know, I hitchhiked across the United States, and then I went to Europe, and I'm traveling around Europe, and I'm traveling around other countries, and I made my way to the Caribbean and South America and Africa and all these. And I would only periodically check in. It might be six months, a year, maybe two years. I don't know. Yeah. And you just didn't know. Um, it's not like that anymore. And right. Right. I, he's, 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 I think I've made him proud at this point with what I've done since that time. Sure. But it was, it was, it was tough for him. But for me, it was the best thing because I had spent 12 years with every part of my life planned to achieve this one thing. Right. And now I was waking up every day. I didn't have to do a thing. There was nowhere I had to be. It was the exact opposite. And that actually brought balance to my life. No, I get it. Yeah. I mean, basically you were spinning yourself up so tight that, that, I mean, do you ever think about the, the not making the, the Olympic, uh, what was it? The, the Olympic trial. Olympic team? trials. Yeah. 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 So, no. I mean, uh -uh. I mean, no, I mean, as a, as a positive thing that do you see it? Oh, do I think? Of yeah. Yeah. It's well, like a blessing in disguise almost. So kind of like setting you free from a prison of your own construction almost. I mean, it's an analysis that's not foreign to me. Uh, right. Other people, right? Uh, <laughs> other people ask you this question, right? But yeah, you didn't feel that way. It. Gotcha. Understood. Um, well, that's why I asked it like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, eight tenths of a second 
in swimming, I mean, eight tenths of a second is not a lot of time. Right. But it, but it is a lot of time. Yeah. But, in a swim meet, it's pretty huge, right? Especially for the race I'm swimming 100 meters. Right. But yes, that definitely did set my trajectory it was, into. It, yeah. It's a life changer. Not even just a different direction, like a different dimension. Right. You became a different person than yeah, you would have been it was, it was on the quantum. other side of that. Right. <laughs> Good word. <laughs> That's a quantum veer. Right. Yes. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> because can you, did you spend time thinking about how your life would have been different if that, if you would have been on the other side of that? Not once. No, you shouldn't. You Honestly, shouldn't. <laughs> it's useless. Once. Right. Yeah. Well, what happened after that was so amazing. I mean, I was so present and so excited. You know, first thing I did is I went surfing and then I'm traveling to foreign countries and I'm meeting, you know, amazing people of all walks of life. And then I'm volunteering and serving causes that I believe in with my, so there wasn't anything to miss. No, I get it. But you, you became kind of like a vagabond almost. Yeah, yes. A little bit. Yes. Did you have the Ralph Potts book? <laughs> have you ever heard of that book? There's a, there's a book, but called Va- vagabonding. I want to buy well, it. Apparently, that's okay, what you I'm, did, and you didn't even know there was a book. <laughs> that's I didn't awesome. No, but watch this. I'm going to give you something that I've never revealed publicly. Okay. All okay, right. So oh, awesome. Get, this, this is the first time. So at one point, I did go back to Yale to graduate, mostly to honor my father. Okay. And well, that's when good. I went. Yes. When I went back um, in the philosophy department in order to graduate you have to do a a senior like final thesis or final project and at the time desktop publishing was just kind of becoming big um and i didn't want to write just a 20 page paper i didn't want to you know just put black text on a white paper i'm way more dynamic at this point okay so I decide I'm going to use desktop publishing and I'm going to combine images and artwork and philosophical themes and poetry onto, onto a page that's going to explain what I learned and sort of what I developed. And it, it, the title of my senior thesis was called Vagabondage. I love it. <laughs> uh, now, wait a minute. There's, Vagabondage. Uh, yeah. I, I want to know more. Well, why why Vagabondage? I mean, it, it, uh, I'm, I wasn't an English lit major, so I'm not sure about all the grammatical stuff. Okay, but that's fine. It was va- – it could have been vagabonding, okay. I guess. I was trying to make it into a, an action or a way of life. Right. Right. And the idea was, you know, um, that – there was some value in being free like that, not knowing um, there was a beauty in it. There was an art, an artistic or aesthetic value to it. There was a, a soul affirming thing to it. So to take this thing, you know, vagabond, it sounds like garbage. It sounds like trash and repurpose it mm. um, was what I was striving to do because I did find it very valuable. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in Europe and I don't have any money. Uh, but there's a big squatters movement. 
and get to know them. And and so I'm with these young people who are living in these abandoned buildings and and fixing them up and doing their own electricity and plumbing. And because they're not paying rent, they don't have to work full time. So I heard that was pretty big in like uh, places like Amsterdam. Yes. Well, that's where that was the first place I ended up. And that's where it all started. Amsterdam is amazing. Uh, yes. Yeah. I love Amsterdam. Yes. Yeah. Good so, for you. That's, a, so, that's cool. That's, so, so you learned some, uh, homelessness skills basically. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Homeless, pra- practical skills, like how to take care of myself and like survive day to day, but also spiritual and like mental skills of how to go through life differently yeah 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 for sure when being that, open to the fear right it's almost like you now you had this this whole conversation right is like what you're you're talking about a, a lot of different themes so did you kind of almost realize like you kind of didn't even know you felt trapped by that whole you know, being overscheduled and working towards that goal. Did, did no, I didn't. I you didn't at, at the, the time, time. You didn't feel trapped. Okay. Yeah, but, at the time I didn't feel trapped, and even after I'm experiencing this other way of living, I didn't feel trapped because I volunteered for it and I enjoyed it. Right. I get it. I get it. By the same token, if I had fell into homelessness and vagabondage, not of my own will. I would have felt trapped by that. Right. But I didn't. Because you were you I, were volunteering you were voluntarily going out there and accepting this level of you know what most people would say would be this sort of like dangerous exposure to the world. <laughs> yeah. But and, you're and you're hardship. you're doing it on t- on purpose, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Hardship and insecurity. Right. But I didn't I didn't it was a it was a perspective change. I didn't see it as hardship the fact that i didn't have to go to work and 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 have money to pay for rent and the fact that i didn't have to go to work to have money to eat because i'm scavenging food right (laughs) yeah 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 right Um, uh it that wasn't a hardship for me it was liberating but Mm. i definitely understand if if you if you're not going into that voluntarily and and wanting that experience right right it's then it's horrible. Well, I think purposeful vagabonding for whatever reason is amazing. Now, th- and that is different than folks that try to go out and say like, do I want to pretend I'm homeless for 30 days? That's kind of stupid. <laughs> Cause the, the thing in the back of your mind is, is, Oh, mm, I'm pretending to be homeless. Right. You know, it, or I'm coming out of it 30 days from now. So let me just last. Yeah, thirty. Yeah, days. when you're not actually really homeless, it. right? You don't have that option, <laughs> so it's real. <laughs> nobody, yes. nobody would say, "Oh, I'm just playing at being homeless on purpose." <laughs> it's it's a completely different thing. Yeah, I mean, those folks are uh, now. Now we should back up because uh, I've I've lived in Los Angeles now since 2003, and there's definitely a difference between a panhandler who's a pro and an actual homeless person. And I can now yes. tell the difference. Right. <laughs> I've actually seen panhandlers 
driving really nice trucks and wearing Oakley sunglasses. And I'm like, aha, <laughs> aha, that's a panhandler. <laughs> they make, they, they, they're very sneaky. You know, it's like when it, you never see them showing up or leaving. Right. But it just so happened that I saw this one dude enough, you know, on a, uh, you know, to know him, you know, know his face and I'm driving home from work and there he is. He's got a really nice, you know, Toyota Tundra or whatever. He's wearing Oakley's. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I, I gave you money. <laughs> Never again. Never again. <laughs> anyway, we, we digress. So we veered. Yes, we veered. We veered. Okay. So how long do you end up being on the road then? So. I kind of lived this way, not kind of. I mean, I was but fully you, immersed. You you, in this you, way you for, went in, you went back for a while. You finished college, right? But yeah, it wasn't over and I, yet, and, right? And then and then I went right back into vagabondage and traveling and living this other way of life that I did for about fifteen years. Okay, um, wow. I would basically get passed off from one community to the next. Um, find something that I wanted to do that there was a need like, so maybe it was organic farming or maybe it was, you know, building solar panels in Ethiopia, or maybe it was, you know, making bamboo furniture in Trinidad, you know, wherever I ended up, I'd kind of find a community that needed help. I had some serious skill sets. I could conceptualize other people's ideas. I could write grants. I can structure nonprofit organizations. I can attract attention. I was doing all these things for people that needed help serving these causes for as long as the project lasts. And then I would move on. Okay. Um, and I enjoyed doing that. Did that for about 15 years. Um, but they don't call it not pro not for profit for no reason. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right, right, right. As hard as I was working, I didn't have any money and mm. now I'm older um, and I was starting to get burned out and I came back to the United States and realized I, I, I had done so many amazing things, but the one thing I hadn't done was really make any real money um, and I needed to do that and I was burned out. So I needed a career change. At that point, I didn't know what to do because I didn't have a real traditional um, resume. Yeah, your resume, resume would not look impressive. Right. Right. And and when the when the second book comes out, Jeff, yeah, it covers the missing fifteen years of my life. I can't wait. There might be some people don't want to hire me. <laughs> <laughs> oh come on, uh, you're already good. I think I think you've you've corrected the gap. You know, sometimes, you know, uh, have you ever heard of a podcast? I don't know how into podcasts you are, right? Um, but there's this guy named Dan Carlin. And he does this really cool podcast called Hardcore History. And he came out of radio, right? And, and he was talking to Tim Ferriss. And he's like, whatever anybody else says is bad about you, make that your best feature. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so take that gap in your 15-year your gap and highlight it. And don't let anybody tell you that that was a bad idea. You know, that's what Dan would say. Is like, no just reframe it and say, and make it a big list of projects, humanitarian stuff that you did. That looks amazing <laughs> that nobody else did. Sure. You didn't have a job. Who cares <laughs> if you get it to the right employer, they'll be impressed. I think. I think so. Yeah. Um, and there's a, there, there were, I mean, it was, it was so rewarding and fulfilling. Right. Um, but I, right. I mean, 
anything you do for a certain amount of time, you give your, your blood, sweat and tears, you may need to step away from it. And I definitely did. And uh, a friend of mine was driving a truck and he's like, you, you should drive a truck. It, it suits, suits your nomadic lifestyle. Yeah. Right. You don't have a family yet. So you, the money you make, you can put away, you can make really good money. Got plenty of time to think this is a good fit for you. And I was like, I, I can't think anything else to do right now. So that's how I got into truck driving and how I ended up in, in Springfield, Missouri at, at, at Prime Inc. Uh, and learning, you know, learning how to drive, getting my CDL and becoming a long haul truck driver. And that was sort of the next. That was the next chapter, the new identity. Yes. Right, right. So at what point now you said uh, I read in the book, I want to just take a, a moment's pause because there's a story that I love that goes with how you got the name. Sapiwe Balika. So let's let's just take a, a minor digression and talk about that. Because <laughs> it's great. Okay. I love it. Yeah, if you don't mind. So, Jeff, imagine you woke up in the morning as a little kid, and all your life you look in the mirror, you look in there, and your name is Chilau Gomez Mustafa. Okay. <laughs> Say that again. It was what? Chin Lao Gomez Mustafa. Okay. I'm all right. Okay. I'm I'm trying and it. You're I'm like, visualizing man, I'm, it. I'm not I'm not Asian. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not Vietnamese. Right. I'm not Middle Eastern. So you look in the mirror, you see one thing, mm. but this sound that is constantly directed at you doesn't fit. Gotcha. So okay. That was my experience growing up. I had this, you know, Italian first name uh, or Spanish first name, a Hebrew middle name and an English surname. But I'm looking in the mirror and I see I'm a black kid. I'm a black boy. I'm African or I'm African-American. But right. I know I'm not English. Right. And I know my ancestors are not the Tudors. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. It's starting so, to make sense now. A name is kind of important because sound is energy. Okay. And your name is a vibration that is directed at you your entire life. Mm. It's energy invested at you. So for me, and this is true for most African Americans, we were ripped from our ancestral homeland. And one of the first things they did to strip us of all that we were connected to was to forbid us to speak our language and forbid us to use, use our names. names. Right, right, right. Right. So I remember as a kid when Roots came on TV. Mm, right. That's exactly what I was and thinking the, of. Man. It's yes. Like, yeah. Kunta Quinta and Toby. <laughs> right. And that was the thing that broke Kunta Quinta's spirit was right. the moment he had to what? Relinquish his ancestral name. name. That's right. And take the name of his, you know, Slave, slave holding owner. Yes, yes. Yikes. So by the time I got a little bit of historical consciousness in me um, in college and I started, you know, I'm studying existential philosophy and the meaning of life and I'm realizing I was just having problems with who I was. I was a black kid raised in a white neighborhood. I didn't fit in anywhere. Right. Right. So with the white kids, it was like, okay, he's different, but you're not really black because you're kind of like us. With the black kids, it was like, okay, fit in, but you're not really with us because you know you're you're, you're kind of white. So <laughs> I had these like, 
Yeah. Okay. Like a white. All right. Right. Wow. Um, man without so a, I, a, a people. In a very, very real and alienating sense. I get it. Yeah. yeah. And I struggled. I started to struggle with it more and more. So by the time I'm traveling at one point, you know, I, I go to South Africa, um, and, uh, on my father's side of the family, we have some family historians that have always said that we were descendant from tribes in South Africa. So when I went to South Africa and I got a chance to spend some time, um, with some elders, uh, and they told me, they said, whenever a son of the soil returns, he gets a new name. And the idea behind that is, if you leave the tribe or the village and you go travel far away and you've, you've been far away from home and maybe you spent a long time away from home, that experience should have changed you. Mm. And if you return as a changed person, you should have a new name reflecting that. And they said, you know, you haven't been to the soil in how many generations? Six, seven, eight generations? Right. And so they, right. gave, they gave me this name, Sipiwe Baleka. Sipiwe means gift of the creator, and Baleka means he who escaped, but it also means fast. Aha! Uh-huh. And I, oh, it fits both. I, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I loved it. Yeah, I love both. I'm, yeah, I had the aha moment where I was like, I actually now know my name, like my mm, real name. Right. It, it fit my identity. So when I came back to America, I wanted to honor my ancestors, right? And so I had my name legally changed. That's amazing. Wow. I love it. It's almost, you know, and they, it goes to that. Um, have you ever read? Of course you have. But uh, what, what does they call it? Um, the hero's journey. You know, when the hero, yes. the hero goes away. So y- y- your hero journey crossed generations. <laughs> but part of that is always, you know, you get renamed. Uh, the hero usually gets a new name. Uh, so when I read that in your book, I was like, oh, this makes sense. <laughs> it's almost like, you know, you totally in every way possible rewrote your identity, which is pretty powerful stuff. I mean, that's, that's one of the most powerful things you can even hope to think about doing in, in this life, I think. And, you know, Jeff, it, it wasn't a contrived thing. No, it I know. It was an organic, right. natural thing. It, it was born of a lot of real struggling with, you know, the questions that I guess, I mean, everybody has, and especially young people with things changing so fast today and access to information um, and, and young people wanting to know where they fit in. Um, I didn't set out and say, oh, I'm going to reinvent myself. No, that, I know. I get it. It, it. Just, it just happened. I made choices that led to that. Right. Um, that's typically and, how it goes, but, though. Yeah. I mean, and, from a and guy getting that, the name from the elders, uh, getting the name from the elders was kind of like the seal on, yeah, on that chapter, and then going into the next one. No, for real, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> it's like almost like you're you're getting towards the end of that. You're probably already thinking you're moving away. You're like, mm, you know, I've been doing this for a while. I, I should be, you know, making money, having kids. You're ready to start transitioning out, and then this renaming idea comes up and it's like oh yeah <laughs> i mean were you open to the idea like immediately when when yeah yeah oh yeah immediately yeah. i mean yeah. i actually stepped off the plane and i was there because i had organized a conference in south africa i had stepped off the plane and there was about 30 or 40 people that were there waiting for me with flags 
and and the elders approached me and they literally gave me the name the moment I set foot on wow. in South Africa. Wow. And they said they said since you're here, right? the people need to know you. And when they say people, they don't just mean the people that you see physically. No, they're they talking about the all the people. Because, <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. And they, they, yeah. they, they need to call you in their tongue. Mm, right. That's great. One of the most amazing moments of my life. Yeah, no, I get it. Thank you. Thanks for sharing the story. Okay. So now we can get back to the timeline. So, where we were at the point where you had just started becoming uh, a trucker. So how long did you actually, or are you, are you still driving a truck as, as your job? So no, I don't, I don't drive anymore. I, okay. I, I drove for four years. All right. Uh, I came to prime um, and at prime they have a student driver program. So if I had never been in a truck, never didn't know anything about truck driving, Sure. Didn't know anything about Prime. Didn't know anything about the industry. I just kind of came here out of default. Like a lot of drivers, kind of like, I don't have too many other options open to me. I'm going to do this. Okay. Um, day I came to Prime, I, I weighed 140 pounds. Two months later, I'd been on the road two months. I was now 155 pounds. Okay, mm. I gained wow. that was quick. 15 pounds. Yeah, 10.7% of my body weight in two months. Yeesh. That's extreme. That's that's a lot. I mean, it. I know it doesn't sound like a lot to people that you know are listening and thinking, what's, what's fifteen pounds? Fifteen pounds is nothing to like somebody like me who's big and like loses a lot of weight and gains a lot of weight. But you're little. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 a lot of weight percentage wise. Well, yeah, and ten. If you gain ten percent of your body weight in two months' time, yeah, that's something, extreme. Something's going wrong uh, in a bad way. So, so by the end of the year, I'm looking at I could be forty, fifty, sixty pounds heavier in a year, and I got scared. It's almost I mean, like I you didn't this, didn't know that you were signing up to be on that Super Size Me movie. Uh, holy no! <laughs> right, <laughs> and you were you were getting supersized. Yikes! Okay. All right. I, very quickly. Um, yeah. didn't realize it. And I, you'd think that everybody would realize this coming into the industry, but they don't. And right. when you come into the industry, they don't tell you, um, within the first three to six months due to the accumulated sleep deprivation, your serum leptin and serum ghrelin levels are going to change and you're not going to be able to regulate metabolism properly. You're probably going to end up skipping meals and then overeating when you do eat, which is going to lead to obesity. You're going to be at risk for metabolic syndrome, which is 60 medical disorders and 12 cancers. Wow. They don't, ex they don't explain that to you coming in and they definitely don't teach you the science behind it or prepare you to deal with it. I mean, right. I'm, the environment in truck driving is so unique. You're living in a box. You don't have access to a kitchen. You have right. food storage issues. Um, you're not getting to the local organic farmer's market or <laughs> Trader Joe's specialty or store. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Um, you're not getting to the gym because they're not set up for truck parking and you don't want to go off the main interstates and highways with your you know, tractor and 53-foot trailer <clears throat> anyways. Right. So there are all these severe limitations and the schedule is always changing, which is disrupting your circadian rhythms. All of these combined, right, you, you might as well be an astronaut living in outer space. That's yeah. how unique the environment is. Wow. Now imagine yeah. if, Na if NASA sent you into outer space without a spacesuit. Pretty much. That's, very, that's a good analogy. That'd be, 
Yeah, it would be That'd killing be bad for, it for would be, NASA. It would be, <laughs> be bad for the astronaut. Be, be, it would just be bad for everybody. But that's what the industry is doing. There are right. men and women that they're, they're putting them out in this unique environment with no protection, no training, nothing. And then they become a victim. You know, all these things change within the first year. It's not like a red flag jumps up and says, hey, it's your serum ghrelin, you know, your serum leptin. I've changed. You can't regulate hunger properly. It's not like you understand the changes. What happens is you just look in the mirror one day and you're like, my God, what happened? Yeah. Fortunately for me, I had that moment two months Just about dead. Yeah. Good. I, I I didn't wait two years or five years into it. It was two months. And I was like, I got to do something. And I started, you know, trying all these things and trying all this equipment and you name it. And I would talk, I'd be on the outside of my truck exercise and talking to drivers and the light bulb went off again. And I realized there's a nutrition and fitness program for everyone in America, except one that was specifically designed for the long haul truck driver and their unique environment and their unique schedule. Right. And that was the moment I decided I'm going to design such a system. Yeah. So what sort of diet do you focus on? Because I, I, we can, we've kind of, well, we didn't talk about on the show. We didn't talk about the exercise because I love the exercise part. But let, let's just, you know, do the seven bullet points of what what you're recommending to eat. Well, I'll what, what to eat. So I'll bring it down this <laughs> or way. how to eat. Yeah, there you go. All right. If, if we're going to talk about the nutrition yeah. part of of four minutes, four minute fit, fit. it comes down. It comes down to this. One, you have to eat every three hours because when Mm. you eat, you give your metabolism work to do. And as long as you are awake and working, you want your metabolism to be working or burning fat for you. Okay. So the first thing is, is you got to eat, you got to eat when you start your day and you got to eat every three hours. The other key thing is, is you got to eat the right thing every three hours. You want to think of your metabolism as a fire. Once you get it going, you got to keep it going. The way you keep it going is you got to keep putting a log on it. You got to keep feeding it, but you got to put the right size log. Too small a log and it's just going to burn up and then it's going to go out. Too big a log, it's going to take too long to catch. And then if it does, it's going to flame up and then it's going to – so you got to put the right size log. And so you got to eat the right thing. And the right thing is protein, okay? Okay. Your body, your metabolism has to work a lot harder to digest protein than it does, say, carbohydrates. Mm. So – Real simple, four-minute fit, the program is basically turn your metabolism on before you start your day by moving with maximum intensity for four minutes. Any movement you can do for four minutes. I love it. Yeah, once you've turned the metabolism on, that's step one. Step two is now all you have to do is keep it on by eating protein every three hours and limiting your carbs because when you eat carbs – Carbs are your 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 potential fuel, your potential energy, and energy is valuable, right? Right. You got to pay for energy. You got to pay for fuel. You got to pay for electricity. You got to pay for heating. So if you eat food that has carbs in it and you're just sitting behind the wheel or you're sitting at your desk or you're just sedentary all day and body's not moving, it doesn't need a lot of energy mm-hmm. because you're giving it this valuable potential energy, it's not going to throw it away. Right. Right. It's going to. Right, right. It's going to store it as fat. Yeah. It's like, oh, this so, is good stuff. We be, we got to keep this for later. It's exact, yeah, that's keep exactly, it for later. That's what the body does. It's like, we don't need this now, but.
but it's awesome. <laughs> right. So we need to keep that. Where should we put it? Oh, we'll find someplace somewhere. Yeah. Right. Get it. I got. So you want to? You want it when you eat? You want to? You want to gradually reduce your carbs and limit them. And you just want to make sure you're getting enough protein every three hours to keep your metabolism working. Mm. It's that simple. Mm. In four minute fit, there's no food that you're required to eat and there's no food that you absolutely have to avoid. There's complete food freedom. Once you understand the principles and that you're eating for your metabolism and what that means mm -hmm. and practicing um, you know, what's often called nutrient timing, okay? okay. John, John Berardi talks about this and Tim Ferriss has talked about this. A lot of people, I'm not the only one who knows this. A lot of people know this. Right, right. Right. Um, but when applied to, for example, truck drivers whose metabolism isn't working, they can't rely on whether they feel hungry or not. They often don't get the signal that they're hungry and that they need to eat. And contrary to popular opinion, truck drivers are not in their truck just eating all day. The average truck driver is only eating once or twice because their metabolism is broken. So they're skipping meals. And the problem is their metabolism is on low. It doesn't have any work to do. Mm -hmm. So they're driving the whole day storing fat when they could be burning fat if all they did was turn it on and keep feeding that fire. Mm, right. So so truck drivers can do their four minutes or their eight minutes or their 15 minutes uh, on the road. And then, and then they can also, what, so they're, they, I think, so like, um, you can have like a protein shake or a handful of almonds or something like that, and then get some yep. decent protein meals somewhere along the road. And then yeah. carbs aren't gone, but, um, they're severely reduced basically. I, I throw throw away the fries. Severe, okay. I wouldn't even say severely. <laughs> okay. Because if I if I do that, a person that's really motivated might try to cut severely cut their carbs, mm. and then they go through food withdrawal and they suffer. Right. You want you them know, to eat uh, carb right, cravings. Right. 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 And so I don't want to shock your system that you're trying to lose weight, but now you're creating this psychological warfare because you cut too many too, too right. fast. And then you get into deprivation mode kind of thing. Yeah. You have this adverse reaction. Mm. No, I so get it. The, re the reason why it's a 13 week program, I'll, I'll show you here, here, here's how you log your food and here's how you determine what your average daily carbohydrate consumption is, mm -hmm. whatever it is. Maybe you're at 350 grams. Maybe you're at 270. It doesn't matter wherever you are. They would just start the process of walking you down enough each week, usually by making one simple change that we can strategically identify because you logged your food. I can right, at that right. point, you read the book, you're gonna know how to say, Wow, here's the item that I eat the most that's doing the most damage to my metabolism. Right. And let's say that item is contributing 60 grams of carbs every day. Mm. And you make one little switch to that, and it goes from 60 grams to 30 grams. Right, multiplied a over deal. a week. Yeah, huge deal. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> so it works, so you can go for it. <laughs> so once, yeah, one simple strategic change that's going to give you maximum results. And so you make a series of those over the course of of several weeks. You don't have to overhaul your entire diet. I hate that word diet. Yeah, you don't have to get a whole new shopping list 
whole new menu, whole right, new recipe, right, right. whole new cooking utensils. You don't have to do all that. Right. You make one strategic change each week. After about five or six changes, you're probably done. You're going to be getting the results. And it's what I call the least disruptive. Mm. Yeah, and it whatever it is that you're doing, you have to make it like easy and you know very workable into into the lifestyle you know and uh, and that's what i liked about any of the diets that i tried mostly sort of like a modified version of the slow carb diet which is similar to uh-huh. what, what we're doing you know the tim ferris diet um you know and i've modified that i'm not so much on the beans anymore um i try to avoid most of my carbs but you know like there's a I, I like Trader Joe's salads just because they're so damn simple, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, they're not available to everybody like a trucker probably couldn't deal, make that happen. But um, I can. So it's super simple, you know, and I, I'm, I'm I'm doing my 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 30 grams or, or better in the with my breakfast. But the, the thing is, is whatever it is that I'm doing, I want it to be easier than um, bad food. You know, it's like, yes. I'm hungry. What's the easiest thing I can do? My diet, <laughs> my <laughs> thing, you know, it's like the easiest thing I could do. I, well, I could go to Popeye's. Oh God. The last time I had Popeye's, it made me sick. What do I have here that I know won't make me feel sick? Oh, that salad that I bought. <laughs> it's so simple Jeff, to eat. That, that's that's a different mentality. You've arrived there. And yeah, I get that. It did. I'm the yeah, same yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. I, I try to serve with my nutrition. I try to serve my house. It's like, man, I can eat as much as I want of anything because everything in my house is geared towards my purpose. Right. And easy and convenient. Now, for a driver, I'll give you an example. So, uh, real story, driver didn't he did his food log for seven days, did an analysis. That driver, he eats six or seven foot long. Uh, sub sandwiches. Holy right? cow. Six in or week. seven. Oh my goodness. Yeah, okay. In a week. A in a week. Every, yeah. Every single day. Right. And in his mind, he's like, this has got to be better than a burger and fries. Right. Right. So it's economical. It's convenient. It's right there at the truck stop. It's it supposed to be healthy. Yeah. Right. So he goes and he does this and he think, he's thinking he's doing great. So I'll do an analysis and I'll be like, man, the thing that's ca- causing the single most amount of damage is your foot long sub. Mostly because of the bread. That right. bread is giving you 85 to 90 grams of carbs. So here's what you do. Okay. Go to Subway. Get the six inch with double meat. Same routine. Same sandwich. Same flavor. Same everything. All I did was cut the bread in half and cut your carbs in half. Mm, and but it's you the got the same, same amount, amount of protein. Meat. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah, same everything. So a change like that, a driver can make and sustain – that's because genius. he's not yeah. really missing anything. Right. And it's easy. Easy, it's, easy, easy. <laughs> you didn't even have to go out of your routine. Right. It's the same. It's just slightly different. That's that's genius. Yeah. That's how – so those kind of changes are why the drivers will lose the weight and sustain it and keep it off um, because it, I figured out you find the things that will fit into their routine. If you take something away, you got to give something back. I mean, you mentioned the salads. So, hey, you go to McDonald's instead of get your chicken, uh, your favorite chicken sandwich, get the Southwest grilled chicken salad with two pieces of chicken. Right. Right. Yeah. So I, I'm not saying you can you can't eat on the road. You, I, I, I'm I know you're a driver. You're gonna 
there's no way you're going to be a driver and not eat in these restaurants and these fast food places. You just got to make All it work. All I have to yeah. do is teach you how to eat for your metabolism and you know how to modify what's there and you can still eat there and lose weight. Wow. Wow. Yeah, and there was no way you were going to figure that out unless you had to do it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Which is amazing. <laughs> so in the la in the last four years, how long did it take you to figure out how to make it work for you? Well, I I started um so I, I started driving in the summer of two thousand eight. Uh-huh. Um two thousand nine is when I started experimenting on myself. Right. I had really hacked my own metabolism. Um, by the end of, um, by the middle of 2010. Okay. So I'd been working on it for a year, year and a half. Um, and I was applying what's in four minute fit. I was applying it to myself and it worked. I mean, I got, I got in good shape. Uh, I got cut. I was looking good in the mirror. I'm pretty vain. So I was like, yeah, I look good. <laughs> right. <laughs> good for you. Why not? Uh, and I, and I was like, man, I wonder how fast I could swim just like on a whim. So I decided I was going to enter a swim meet at the age of 40. All right. And I did. I uh, went to the meet, swam surprisingly fast, and someone told me, you should go to nationals. You'll do really well. I didn't even know they had a nationals for old guys. It's called <laughs> Master Swim. Like, who knew? <laughs> right? Who knew? Right. Who knew? Right. So I decided one of the great things about truck driving is I get to drive all over the country. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go. I call my fleet manager. I'm like, hey, I need a load going out to uh, – um, uh, Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona on such and such a date. And I get a load going out there and park the truck in the parking lot. And I get out of the truck and I go to the meet and I see my races. And I, I, I'm thinking, eh, I'll go. I'll see a few of my old friends. Maybe I'll make the top 10 if I'm lucky and, you know, have a good time. Well, I end up winning two races. Wow. For the first <laughs> time in my life, now I'm a national champion. Like, All right. Finally, right. <laughs> They're like, who is this guy? He pulls up and literally I parked the truck in the parking lot, go to the race. They can't pronounce my name. They don't remember me. And I get back in my truck and I drive off and go deliver my load. In right? the movie, in the movie of your life, that's gotta be the opening and closing scene. <laughs> Cause that's the best. I love that. So, you know, totally unexpected, and I'm starting to get media attention. Magazines are writing about me, and they're calling me the fittest truck driver in America. And now I had a platform to talk about the health issues affecting drivers because I'm the fittest truck driver in America. Of course. I can talk about it. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, and so that was good for business. And and, and, and um, by the time I had done that, I had also got into triathlons Um I did eight in 2011, the last year that I was a full-time driver. Wow. Um, eight won, triathlons. My goodness. Yeah, eight triathlons that year. I won two or three of them. Um, and I did. Uh, I finished the, the year going to um, the 2012 Ironman South Africa. Because uh, it's not enough for me to do an Ironman. I got to go all the way to Africa to do it. <laughs> I want my people there, right? <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> all right. Uh, and I got 214th. In my first Ironman, out of like 1,500 athletes. That's pretty good. Uh, wow. And so I ended my driving career on, on, on an athletic high. And I went to Robert Lowe, who is the founder of Prime, um, the, the company I was driving for. They have about 7,000 drivers. And I went to him and I said, listen, 
I've developed this system. I can coach your drivers. I can use digital health equipment to measure and monitor their metabolic output every minute of the day. Um, not only can I coach them to lose weight, I can make their metabolisms 8% more efficient. Mm. He's like, really? 8%? And I was like, 8% is a lot, right? Yeah. You like to get 8% better fuel economy or I'd get an 8% it. raise yeah. or, or argue 8% less with your girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, or wife, right? 8% just, just is say a lot. Eight, eight, you're going to feel 8% a little bit you know, more happy. Yes. <laughs> I think, you know, and I'll take so that. I showed, I showed him the system. I showed him how it worked. I, I didn't come to him with an idea. I had worked it out. I had, it was, it was, I had already used it on myself. Yeah. It's fully you had, you had a PowerPoint presentation probably. No, I had the digital health devices. I strapped uh, it on. I showed him in real time what better. I was doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I don't even think I used I had the PowerPoint, but I don't even think I used it. I was I was off and running, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and Robert being a, a visionary leader in the trucking industry and really caring about his driver said, Hey, this is what we need. And he created a position for me called Driver Health and Fitness Coach at Prime. And I did that for four years and helped a lot of drivers lose weight and they got amazing results. And um actually I, I started outperforming Weight Watchers. So technically, I have the number one weight loss program in the country. Wow! Uh, right here. <laughs> yep, I believe it because you know it's it's using uh, a lot of known, like you said, it's a lot of known strategies, just you know, simplified. You know, and I think yep. you know a lot of them come out trying to be simple, and then it, as you scratch the surface, obviously they're a little bit more complicated as you go. <laughs> but I think yours is probably the most simple slash effective out of the box on this simple setting, right? I don't know. Jeff, You're laughing at I'm me. I'm laughing. <laughs> I'm laughing because when, when, when they approached me about doing the book, yeah, I was like, it's only going to be 10 pages. <laughs> it's really simple. We spent a lot of time trying to put stuff in the book. Right. All the I stories. Yeah. yeah. I didn't want it to be, I wanted someone to be able to read it in 15 minutes and know exactly what to do. Right. Yeah. That so doesn't we, we make a book. That. That's like a pamphlet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we put more information in there, but there's a section of the book where it, you, if you just want to get the, the nuts and bolts, here's what to do and when to do it and how to do it. You can read that chapter. Bam, you're gone. You're good. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I, I liked it because it gave me, you know, sort of bullet points for chatting with you, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> so I got way more out of the, the preface or the intro. I'm not sure which, you know, the life story part, you know, that was, uh, that was probably my favorite thing. And then, and then I kept going because I was like, well, I want to know how I can get rid of my gut, you know, so I, I better keep going. Well, I have to give credit to, um, John Wertheim for that. So J John, um, Interesting story. The, the book was actually John's idea. John Wertheim is, he's an executive editor at Sports Illustrated. Just so happens he was a classmate of mine at Yale. Oh, um, wow. Same, same year. And so when I dis, we, we didn't know each other back then, but we had some mutual friends. Uh, but when I disappeared from campus, you know, it was kind of a strange thing. People knew about it. And he had wondered what happened. And so when I kind of resurfaced, he was reading a, a Yale alumni magazine and saw this little blurb about me. And he contacted me and he's like, he's like, man, what happened to you? And I told him a story and he's like, man, we got to write about this. It's um, an amazing story. So the story. book idea. Yeah. It, so all of the anecdotes and, and stuff in the book was really John's influence saying, hey, you know, this book can be more than just a manual 
there's some really good nuggets in here that that the readers can appreciate because as you're losing weight, you're transforming your life. Mm. As you're getting healthier, you're transforming your life. You have more energy to deploy into the universe. Yeah, and I've seen and, it happen. I've yeah. seen people change their life. And he's like, your story about how your life has changed is going to resonate with some people. So that's uh, that's John. I'm not a writer, okay? Right. I, I do what I do pretty good, but I'm not a writer. So he's, he's, he's a great writer, and he definitely um, did a great job in sort of helping me tell, tell my stories. No, it's great. It's a great book. So you are, let me see if I can say it right now without coaching, Sipiwe Baleka. Did I get it right? at sapiwaybaleka.com. Your book is called Four Minute Fit. Did I get that right? You got it. <laughs> I got it right. Uh, this has been a blast. We're like an hour and 20 minutes-ish, <laughs> <laughs> which is means we're just having way too much fun. So um, I appreciate your time, and thanks for being on the show. Man, thank you, Jeff. This is has been great, and um uh, if your listeners want to contact me, they can go to www.sipiwaybaleka.com. It's just my name. Uh, and you can see um, videos, some of the exercise stuff that I, I talk oh, cool. about in 4 Minute Fit. Yeah. Yeah, you can see some now of those videos. If you, um, if you go to www.truckerterritory.com. Okay. Um, uh, it's a website sp- sponsored by Progressive Commercial Insurance, and they were like, hey, we want to help. There's a lot of people that really want to help truck drivers. People are really getting involved, and they helped me develop some really great content that you can see for free, and we want you to go. We want you to get the book, but right. you can go there, and you can kind of see you know, for yourself what, what I'm really talking about. Awesome. Thank you, sir. You have a good one. I will, and same to you, Jeff. Thanks, man. Thanks for taking the time to ride along with us on another episode of Vroom Vroom Veer. For podcast info and show notes, be sure to head over to vvveer.com. That's triple V double E-R.com. Man, that's fun to say. And we'll catch up with you next time here on Vroom Vroom Veer. Vroom Vroom Veer.